Well, hi, everybody. Hi. Um, usually I do safe place, but because I was preaching, I asked Val to do safe place. And when I'm facilitating it, I'm focused on facilitating it. But when I was listening to it, I just like fell back into my safe place and I feel way blissed out. So I could just take a nap right now. And, um, you know, we could make that an object lesson that God wants us to rest or something like that. But I, I did prepare some stuff to say, so <laughs> I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, I want to tell you a couple of stories. And the first one is an Inuit story. It's a folk tale about death. It's called the Skeleton Woman. So the people say that a long time ago, there was a woman or a girl And she did something that made her father very angry. And he took her out to the top of a cliff and he threw her off into the sea below. And she drowned. And over the years, you know, the water and fish and the sea creatures did all their work until she was just a skeleton at the bottom of this cove. And everyone said that the cove was haunted and so no one would go there to fish. But one day there was a hunter, a fisherman, who had been looking for food for a long time. He was very hungry and he didn't know about the cove being haunted. And so he stumbled upon it and he said, Oh, I'm so lucky because look, this cove is here. It's empty. There's no one here. I'm sure I'm going to catch a big fish here. So he got his fishing stick ready and he got a bone hook. Uh, he tied it to the fishing stick and he dropped it down in the water and it went down, down all the way down to where the skeleton woman was at the bottom. And the tide and the water was moving her back and forth, and so the bone hook got caught in her ribs. And she tried to move and get away, but she couldn't. And the more she moved, the more she got tangled up. And the fisherman felt her moving and pulling, and he said, oh, oh, this is a big fish. I got a really big fish. And so he starts pulling her up, and he's very excited. This fish is going to feed him for a long time. So he turns around to get his net, And he turns back, and instead of a big fish coming up out of the water, he sees this terrifying skeleton coming up out of the water, looking at him. And she's standing up because he's, you know, got her by the fishing hook, by the line. And he starts rowing for shore as fast as he can because he's scared out of his mind. But because she's still attached to the hook, every time he looks back, it looks like she's running after him on the water. And so he's like, go, go, go. And he gets to the shore and he takes his fishing pole and his net and he starts running across the shore. And he's like, oh, surely I'm going to get away from her now. But because she's still tied up to the hook, she just goes bumping along after him, like all over the rocks. And every time he looks back, there she is right behind him. And finally, he makes it to his snow house and he crawls through a little snow tunnel. He gets into the house. It's very dark. And now it's quiet. And so he thinks, okay, I've lost her. She can't get me in here. And after a little while, he's cold. He lights a fire. And then in the light of the fire, he sees that the skeleton woman is in his snow house with him. But now that she's still and now that he's safe, he thinks she doesn't look so scary. And he feels some compassion for her because... All of her bones are all out of place. All that tugging her up through the water and dragging her over the rocks has made it where she doesn't look like a normal skeleton anymore. She looks all jumbled up and he feels sad for her because she's been forgotten and not buried. And now she's all messed up. 
And so he starts to sing a song over her and he puts all of her bones back into place where they are. And she's very still because she doesn't want to scare him, but she really appreciates that he's trying to fix her up. And he gets tired uh, and he's still hungry. He hasn't eaten and he feels very lonely, but he goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, he, um, he has a dream about how lonely he is and about how hungry he is. And as he's dreaming, a tear comes out of his eye. And the skeleton woman feels a lot of compassion for him. And so she, um, she's intrigued by the tears. So she crawls over and she drinks it. And then she takes his heart out of his chest and she starts beating on it like a drum and singing a song. And as she's beating on his heart like a drum and singing a song, she starts to um, have flesh on her. She starts to grow her hair back and eyes. And pretty soon she's a real live woman again. And when she's all done, she puts his heart back in his chest. And then she lays down and goes to sleep. And in the morning, the fisherman, instead of finding, you know, just some bones, he finds this woman. And he's so happy because... Now they're not alone. She's so happy because instead of being thrown away and rejected, she's been taken in and loved. And because she came from the sea, she has an affinity for talking with all the sea creatures. And so they never go hungry again. Um, and this is the story that the people tell. And that's all they know about it. This is a different story. This is a story from God's word. So Jesus and his followers had gone up to Jerusalem for a religious festival. And before they went up, Jesus had brought Lazarus back to life. And so there was a huge crowd of people following him. And the religious leaders were nervous and upset because they said, you know, we can't do anything. The whole world is going after him. So among some of the people who went up to worship at the religious festival were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was one of the followers of Jesus. And they said, we would like to see Jesus. And before taking them to see Jesus, Philip went to Andrew, who was one of the other followers of Jesus. And they talked. And then they went to Jesus. You see, the religious leaders had been saying that they wanted to arrest Jesus. And so anyone who saw him should tell them. So they went to Jesus to say, you know, should we bring these Greeks to you? Maybe also it was very exciting that people from far away were now hearing about Jesus and asking to see him. And Jesus replied to them. He said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it will produce many, many seeds, many, many grains of wheat. He said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, that's where my servant will go. And he said, now my soul is troubled. And should I say, you know, Father, save me from this hour? And he said, no, it's for this reason that I've come to this hour. This is what I'm supposed to do. And he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there uh, heard it, but some of them said that it had thundered and some of them said that 
the voice of an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus said, this voice wasn't for me. This was for you. He said, the ruler of this world is about to be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, that's when I will draw all people to myself. And after Jesus had talked to them, he departed and he hid from the crowds and he didn't appear in public again. And that's a story from God's word. Um, so reflecting on those two stories, uh, I'm curious what things stood out to you in either or both of the stories. And you can put your name in the chat or wave really big. Oh, hey, Charles. I'm sorry. You're so tiny. You didn't, you didn't Charles up to the screen. I'm sorry. Well, give me a minute and I'll Charles. Don't worry. Uh, I, um, I'm struck by the way that, uh, in the, in the first story, the guy is, uh, pursued by this, well, I don't know what, what is at least to me a symbol of death, um, and runs from it and is scared of it. And that, that symbol of death ends up being a source of life and community and connection and provision for him. And how in the second story, uh, uh Jesus the man uh doesn't run from it but rather turns to it and kind of embraces it at the outset um and i the the phrase that got me uh when um when Bonnie was reading was um something about you know unless the seed falls to the ground um you know, that, that it, it's in the, the dying that it multiplies and bears fruit. Um, that there's some sort of gift. There's even life in embracing, embracing death. So that's what struck me. Yeah. Thank you, Charles. Yep. I'm glad you got that the skeleton was, was death. <laughs> symbol of death. Okay, Ben. Uh, I should have waited for Charles to to say something before I put my name because it was essentially exactly the same thing. So what Charles just said. And I'm I'm not I'm not present enough to come up with something else. Uh. 
Actually, one little bit of addition in that first story, um, not just the ways in which death leads to life, but how easy it is to make a monster out of something um, that actually is the thing that might save us, um, that we can other people um, when really they're uh, the space and the opportunity and the grace of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read that story in a book um, full of just different folk tales from different cultures. And um, that one, just, I, it just really stuck with me. There's a lot of stories in the book, but that one just really stuck with me. I think it stuck with me probably for the last six months. And I read it to Ryan and he's like, where is this going? taking his heart out of his chest like all kinds of crazy things are happening here um but yeah like it just I don't know it has just stayed in my mind um partly because of that picture of the man running from you know what he thinks is chasing him and really the only reason it's chasing him is because he's running from it uh and if he would stop uh, it would stop chasing him and it would be yeah, a source of life to him. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. So we already touched on this a little bit. Are there other parallels that you see between the stories or? I'm Charlesing up. <laughs> Um, the thing that strikes me about both stories, but especially since I was unfamiliar with the first story was more, I guess, shocking is there's this like really violent nature to it before, like, before there's resolution and I'm marinating on this in my head, but there's like, like when you're talking about how she like takes his heart out, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen, you know? And there's almost like like a, a a darkness to it and it's sort of like to me I was thinking of like what seems like violent and dark and almost like hopeless right like especially thinking about like a removal of the heart is usually like the ultimate end um is yeah. hold on my dog my dog's feeling violent um <laughs> Anyways, um, but then that, like, there, there becomes this, I don't know, um, this beautiful resolution, like, it's sort of, like, out of, like, the death, then something new is birth that's actually, I, like, good, I hate to use that kind of binary language, but that just really struck me, that there's sort of, like, what seems like this ugliness, but then somehow gets resolved, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Val. For sure. John. So I remember what Jen said in the, in the communion message is that, um, uh, we knew, I mean, we have heard those scriptures hundreds of times and we knew that the communion would lead to the, to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. We knew that. It wasn't new to us. 
But the story about the skeleton was new to us. We were captivated by it, and we were unsure. We were hanging on your every word. And so I think the disciples were going, huh? Grain falls into the ground and dies, and then what? What's all that? You know, we we don't do that because, oh, yeah, I heard that. I know. Okay, what? Well, keep going. So what? What are you, you going to do with this old familiar, you know, verse? What what life can you bring to that dead story? Contrasted, the other one was kind of like, this is totally fresh and crazy. And we don't know what to make of it. We haven't heard 75 different different preachers, you know, you know, drone on about the uh, about the the the, uh, the, st- the parable of the sower, and it means this. And sweet Jesus, the uh, the, the 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 ten virgins. Uh, that doesn't mean anything. But there's five thousand or revelation. You know, it, this means. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We know what those means because we've heard so many versions of it. We don't know yeah. nothing about no skeleton lady. Yeah. They, like they didn't the first time. Yeah. The first time they didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. We're, we're all like, uh huh. Seed in the ground. Yeah. Dies more seeds. Great. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, um, at the time in the context that they're in, like they're, I think of them a little bit, like I see a parallel of, Oh, this is a really big fish. Jesus is a big fish. He is going to take care of us for a long time, you know, and then they're like pulling him up and they turn around and they're like, Oh, no, 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 no. Lots of death. Like Jen was saying, you know, that you're going through this terrible thing and they did not expect to be going through that. Um, and I love how Jesus in the story says, you know, these things are for your benefit, not mine, because he knows where he's going and he knows what he's doing. But he's giving them like words for the experience that they're going to have um, that they just don't know they're going to have yet. And he's giving them things that they can look back and say, oh, OK, yes, I understand this. Um, but you're right, John, there's this power to stories that we've not heard before. It's just different when we've heard it. And like you said, we've heard a, a million different interpretations of it. Um, it kind of loses some of the impact of it. Anybody else? Um. So in the book that I read this in, uh, the woman kind of explains part of the story that it's about having a cooperative and rich relationship with what we fear um, and that things that we fear can actually be like the most fertile places for change in our lives. So... What in your life or in our world parallels what we hear in the stories? Um, I'll start, I'll throw one out there. Uh, I could not stop thinking about me when I was, you know, we were in the process of getting Sean diagnosed with ADHD and I felt like there were so many messages in my head of, Oh, you know, is this even a real thing? And what if he needs to be on medication? And how will you, I mean, it, 
I felt like I was running from it and there was this skeleton lady chasing behind me. And once I stopped, it was like God was very evident in, you know, using his diagnosis and using all of the providers in our life and using all of our friends around us to bring new life into Sean's life and into the life of our family. And I just was kind of laughing at myself at how I was running across the rocks, you know, dragging the skeleton woman of this fear of this ADHD diagnosis behind me. Um, and how I think God was probably just waiting for me to stop. Uh, are there parallels like that for you personally, or that you can see in our world? Okay, I'll go. Um, so I was thinking about. Oh, sorry, gotta stretch. Uh, um, um, how I felt like the skeleton. Um, when I was kind of figuring out my sexuality, you know, three-ish years ago. Um. Uh, to the people around me, all of a sudden it felt like I was death. I was skeleton. I was the, um, this death chasing, causing, I don't know, you know, like, um, and, um, you know, I think, um, the reality is that, um, that they missed out on, um, on the beauty and the life and, um, and, you know, what it means, um, for me to be able to, um, love and see, you know, male and female in this beautiful, different way. Um, and something that seemed, um, scary and ugly and bad, um, is, um, beautiful and brings life. I love that, Jen. I love that. That's yeah. I love that. I what's yeah. What's interesting about that skeleton woman story is that in the story, you know, she wants to be accepted and to, uh, be shown compassion and to be welcomed, right? She's change. She like, she wants to be welcomed. She's lonely in the same way that the man is lonely. Uh, and I just, yeah, I love that. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, John. Well, you said the phrase facing your fears. Uh, the first thought that came to me is the time that I uh, first walked up to the homeless shelter, Dallas Life Foundation. And I had, uh, I terrified 
about that. I had uh, struggled for weeks. To, I was living, uh, staying uh, one, two, three nights at this place, that place, this place, that place. Finances coming and going. And I uh, had to face the music that uh, I was run out of options. And uh, I didn't know anybody was homeless. I mean, I knew, I have, uh, well, I didn't, uh, I, I had jobs where, where I, uh, uh, I worked at a convenience store and, and I had relationships with him. I liked him, but it never, anyway. Um, and it was certainly was a huge blow to my uh, self image. Um, I mean, grew up in an affluent family, you know, big fancy neighborhood swimming pools and Cadillacs and fur coats and country clubs. And for me, you know, to go to a homeless shelter, it's kind of like that's pretty much, you know, uh, and many of you have leprosy. And uh, I did it, and it was painful and difficult and crazy to get adjusted. Uh, but once I got adjusted, it's like anything. It, it just kind of, this is the new norm. Okay. You wake up at this time. Uh, the lights yeah, yeah, the lights go off at 10 p.m. The lights come on at 6 a.m. That's it, Jack. And you sit in your, you sit in your bunk. And you get down if you're, you're half an hour for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you're there, you eat for free. If you're not there, you don't eat. Period. You know, you walk in, you walk out. You know, people look through through your backpack. You know, you, so you don't, you're not carrying drugs or guns. You go, you know, it's kind of like you don't get to get out of your apartment. You you get searched, and you know you got to pay, and you got to. I mean, you're just very regimented. But if we adjust to all that craziness. You know, and you know who who is safe and unsafe to to be friends with. It's just it's just it, it's a weird new norm, and getting out of it was 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 hell. And I'm so so forever, never, never, never grateful for all the prayers, you folks. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten out and be in this nice apartment. Uncle Sam's paying eighty percent of my rent. That's that's because of God, not because I was so clever. So, with that, I pass. Thank you, John. Yeah, I think that's uh, what you said and what Jen said. I mean, yes. It's easy uh, to talk about the seed falling into the ground and dying and experiencing it is sometimes very hard and very, it's like a very lengthy process. Um yeah, and I think that's important to remember. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I was listening to you guys so hard that I lost my last thing I was going to say, so... Um, oh, what was it? Does anyone have a last comment while I try to remember what I was trying to say? Uh, oh, yeah, I remember. Okay. So in the song this morning, I love how Patrick pick the song, you know, you keep hope alive. Um, 
And I think that sometimes we think keeping hope alive means never admitting the possibility of death or decay or change, that hope always has to just keep going up and up and up and up and up. And if it goes down, then that's the end and hope has been defeated and we've lost. Um, but I think the story of the skeleton woman and the story that Jesus tells and about the grain of wheat uh and the things that happen to Jesus, I think the way that hope stays alive and continues um, is through this life-death life cycle. And so there are times when our hope is increasing and there are times when it's decreasing, um, but the decrease always goes to another increase. It's like our breath. We can breathe in and then we can breathe out. We couldn't just keep breathing in and in and in. Our body would force us to breathe out. And then we couldn't just keep breathing out and out and out because our body would force us to breathe in. Uh, and I think that there is a lot to the metaphor of God having breath because, you know, we, it continues on and on through this in and out process through the life death life cycle. And so as we're approaching Easter, um, I don't want us to brush over the night and say, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Uh, and neither do I want us to say, oh, we're stuck in Friday. Um, I think that the, what the stories are telling us is that we are free to embrace death as it comes. And then we're free to embrace life as it comes without being afraid that we're going to be stuck in one place forever. And I think that's the gift that God gives us um, is that he goes on and on and on and we go on and on with him. So um, I wanted to read a prayer. The theme of our message series of which this is the last one is have mercy Um when I was thinking about these stories, I was thinking about um, asking God to have mercy on me when I cling too hard to hope or when I cling too hard to death, um, asking him to let me walk with him instead of clinging so hard to either my fears or my desires. Um, and this is the prayer. Jesus, you sometimes left so that people could face themselves. May we face ourselves in the wilderness, in the world, and recognize the forces that drive us so that they do not always drive us. Amen.